Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Good morning, Rooftop. Yeah, it is an immense honor, really, to, to stand here and on this super special day at you guys, as you guys celebrate eight years. Ooh, eight years, eight years, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, because we, uh, last November, you know, Pastor Scott's nice, he's like two years. We just celebrated a one year last November, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, wow, eight years? I hope we last that long, you know? <laughs> and um, yeah. Maybe on that day, I'll, I'll invite you, Pastor Scott, and you can come and uh, preach for us and, and charge us. And I don't know why Pastor Scott asked me to come, because, you know, it's not like I have a lot of experience and I can say, hey, I've been through this, I planted my church, and I can tell you these things, right? I have, I have not much of those things to give you. But I guess my understanding is, as, as Pastor Scott said, um, yeah, we've been connecting at a deeper than surface level, right, in the past two, three years, three years, and... Definitely a sense of kindred spirit, like you said, especially in the, in the head. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so all that to say, I, I come as a brother in Christ and as a fellow comrade serving the kingdom of God uh, to bring a word of encouragement and exhortation and congratulations uh, through the word of God in the name of Jesus. Right? You know, in the past couple of years, I think I got, this, got into this because of um, the pandemic, but I got into hiking and backpacking. Any hiking fans out there? Okay, all right, yeah, backpacking. So got into it, super fun, you know, you get this huge backpack that's as big, you know, super heavy, look at the map, get on, right, it's super amazing, you know, so I, I've take, taken my family, been on it uh, with some of my members, church members, oh, I can look at here actually, oh, yeah. And, and so during the hike, though, you kind of hit a point where we call it a vista point moment, right? It literally means what? Viewpoint, right? So you kind of pause, uh, take a breather, right, because you're tired. And then you look back at, at, you know, the journey you've been on, kind of get, get a celebration and enjoyment of the scenery and, you know, where you're at so far. And then you kind of look at the map and double check, are we on the right path? Do we have to course correct? You don't want to get lost and stranded and die out here, right? And so we're kind of looking at, oh, what are the next steps, you know? Uh, and, and perhaps course correct, and then we, we enter into that next step, right? And so that, I think that was cotton, Cottonwood Lakes. So in the middle, right, it's something like this, right? You kind of pause, take a picture, celebrate, you know? <laughs> I t- took my son uh, to, to somewhere and, you know, kind of, kind of pause there and you look at the ray, right? And so these kind of moments are very important, right? Uh, it's important to celebrate the journey because you don't just want to be caught up on ongoing, you know, it's hard and you forget to enjoy, right? And celebrate the blessings of God out in nature, for example. Uh, it's also important because, you know, you want to pause and get some break, take a break. It's also important to make sure you're on the right path, right? And, and, and direct or redirect your way. And it's not only important, right? These kind of moments are not only important for hiking and backpacking. It's important to have these kind of moments in our personal lives, right? To look back, look at the present, look forward. And not only for our personal lives, for Rooftop Church is journey, right? 
to be able to look back. And what an awesome opportunity it is as, as you all celebrate eight years of you know, being together as a church to take this day, right, perhaps to, to pause, right, to look back at, wow, the journey. As I was worshiping, I could just sense it, you know. Man, probably the ups and downs and tears and sweat and laughter and joy. Even Pastor Scott, you know, the burdens you might have carried and all of those things, you know, through thick and thin. And remembering that none of that was wasted. Can we get an amen, right? Every part of that journey was, was a blessing and God was indeed good. You celebrate that. And then you realize, where are we at now, rooftop, right? Where are we at now? And then you pay attention. Right? Yeah, you're celebrating well. You know, I'm looking forward to getting one. I get one too, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. And then you kind of look forward and you pay attention to God's voice, right? Lord, where are you leading us in the next season? Where, you know, is that direction and place you might be leading us into next, right? And so, uh, you know, I, I really want to spend that time kind of together uh, in that way this morning. Uh, now, I don't know all the details of your eight years of journey. I'm, I'm longing to find out as I even fellowship more with my brother Scott. And even today, maybe I'll get some more insight into all the details of the journey. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to take a step further back and kind of do a little viewpoint activity for the church with a capital C church, right? Where has the church been so far? Right? I don't know the details of Rufa, but I think if we pay close attention to the scriptures through church history and where we're at in our world today in our environment, we can get a pretty good sense right, of where the church has been at, where the church is at right now, and what God is doing in our midst and where he might be leading us next. You guys all following, right? And so we want to do that kind of a time, a vista point kind of time together uh, this morning. So where have we been at? Uh, if you guys can look at in the front with, with eyes of faith, right? Imagine there's a line that I'm drawing from this end to that end, okay? All the people that are in Christ with spiritual eyes can see this line right now. Everybody said amen, right? right yeah. From infinity to infinity, right, guys? And um, I like to call this the timeline of God. I'm going to summarize where the church has been at, right? Where, what God has been up to in the past. And then we're going to lead up to, uh, to the current point, right? So don't lose me, okay? It's, I'm going to get into a little bit of detail. So infinity, infinity, God creates, right? Heavens and the earth, all the universe. And at the center of it, he creates mankind in the image of God as representatives to live in the kingdom and the will of God. And, oh, I should come back right here, okay? Where, where's the limit? Right here? Okay, yeah. Right here. Okay, creation. Okay, right here, right? And then, you know, so we lived in perfect union with God, and from that union, we had all goodness and abundance and everything, right? But what happens? Very shortly lived, after two chapters, in chapter three of Genesis, what happens? The great fall happens. And instead of depending and worshiping Him, we want to depend on ourselves. We want rebellion, our own control, right? And so we, we are cut off from the source of life, and, and, and the great fall happens. But the crazy thing is this, right? And because of that fall, obviously, the world is a mess, right? Everything good and loving and peaceful and perfect and meaning and everything was broken, right? But the crazy reality is God 
has planned. So in, right there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we call this a proto-euangelion because it's like the first appearance of the gospel of Jesus, actually. Yahweh, God is talking to the serpent, and he's saying, there's going to be a battle between your seed and, and the woman's seed. The woman's seed is what? It's Jesus, actually. It's crazy, right? Right from the get-go, you see that God has a plan, and he says this. Uh, there's going to be a battle. You're going to bruise the, the seed of the woman's heel, but, but he's going to bruise your head. He's going to, you're going to be dead. He's talking about the cross, right? The seed of the woman's going to die on the cross, but he's going to conquer over sin and death and all the curse of sin through the, through the cross, right? Isn't that crazy? So he starts that, that kind of uh, plan here. A few chapters later in Genesis 12, he calls Abraham and he says what? I have a plan. I'm restoring my kingdom that's been broken, my rule and reign. I'm going to restore all things back to, and I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to all nations, right? Remember that, right? Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons, Joseph, and they're in the land of, you all have to go back to the children's ministry or something. They're in the land of Egypt, guys, Egypt, right? Egypt, you guys remember that, right? They lived there for 400-ish years, right? And, and by the end of 400 years, they are a big nation. And they are called the nation of Israel. Yes, thank you, Pastor Scott. Yeah, Israel, right? Woo. Israel. And then by the time, you know, they're suffering, right? So they call out, oh, save us, Yahweh, right? They're suffering. So God sends who? Oh, okay. Moses, all right, Moses, and, you know, delivers them. But even in the process of delivering them, you guys remember, the 10th plague was what? The firstborn male of every household would die. And in order to, for the spirit of death to pass over what? They have to put the blood of the lamb. That's pointing to Jesus. Isn't that crazy, right? Thousands of years before, it's pointing to the reality of what God was doing. Anyways, God delivers them. And then comes Joshua, after 40 years of wilderness wandering, Joshua comes, and with that generation, they enter into the promised land of Canaan. But in there, instead of being faithfully, you know, bringing God's kingdom, they're... polluted by, by the neighboring kingdoms, right? And so they, they're sinning. They're not really being faithful. So God brings judges to save them. And after that, they want a king, right? So they get Saul and anoint him. Starts out well. Ends up horrible. Do you guys remember that, right? And then God appoints a man after his own heart. And his name was David. He ends up writing more than half of the Psalms. And a lot of the Psalms point again to the Messiah that's coming. That I have a plan, says the Lord, right? And I'm going to send my Messiah, and there's going to be this new season called a new covenant, and I'm going to restore my kingdom through that Messiah. And again, Israel is unfaithful that the kingdom is divided, north and south and all of that. In the midst of all of that, God's still faithful. He sends prophets and says, return to me. You're my people. You're my church in this generation. I've called you for a purpose. Return and repent. I've called you to shine the light, not to be you know, polluted by the world, but to bring the kingdom. But in the midst of their unfaithfulness, the prophets also say what? But I'm still going to be faithful. I'm going to bring Messiah. I'm going to bring a new covenant. And finally, right around here, how far can I go on this side? Oh, I had too much coffee. My mouth is very dry. Where was I? 2,000 years at the center of history, right? Finally, Jesus comes, fulfilling the hundreds of prophecies before It's an absolute miracle. Can we get an amen, right? We believe in living history of God, right? Fulfills all of that. Lives the perfect life you and I could have never lived. Died on the cross, bearing all of our shame and sin and punishment, right? 
And then he rose from the dead, conquering the curse of sin and death. So that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life, right? To have that restored relationship, to no longer live in our broken independence, but live back in his kingdom, and he ascends to heaven. And he started a movement 2,000 years ago. In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, he said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? teaching them to observe everything that I've taught you. Behold, I am with you always till the end of this age. And in Matthew 24, 14, he also said this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony, right, to the ends of the earth and all nations, right? And then the what will come? The end will come. So for the last 2,000 years, this is the movement of God. A lot of people, the Jewish people thought that when the, when the Messiah comes, it's going to come with a bang, you know, political, militaristic power, overthrowing Rome, and Jesus, the Messiah is going to be obviously powerful and every knee will bow. But, but God's plan was a little different. He said this in Mark 4, right? With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds, thank you, on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. That's the word of God. And all God's people said? So it started with a band of nobodies in Galilee. You guys remember that, right? But there was one quality. They had a new heart. They were under the new covenant. The Holy Spirit lived in them. They were evil, wicked sinners, but they were transforming into the likeness of their master. And 2,000 years ago, they started going out and one person started reaching another, and this movement of disciples making disciples, right? And lives transforming, it, it started. It started like a mustard seed, but it continued. And I want you to look at 500 years, 1,000 years, 1,500 years, 2,000 years, and look at right here. We're, we're here, guys. I, I know that was long, okay? But 2023, January 29th, Orange County, Brea, Rooftop Church, the people of God, a gathering of God's disciples, the kingdom people of God in this area, gathering here for eight years, serving this long purpose of God. Pay attention. Jesus said when the ends are reached, right? Some missiologists, now no one knows the day or time. If anyone comes to you and says he's coming back on so on such a date, never follow that person, amen? It's a lie, right? No one knows the day or time, but we know one thing for sure. The more the gospel spreads, right, it's probably getting closer to the time of Christ's return. It could be 10 years. It could be another 1,000 years. Who knows, right? But one reality, we possibly, very likely, and a lot of missiologists agree, we're probably living. The last days started 2,000 years ago. It's, we've been in the last days, according to the Bible, in the last 2,000 years, and we're probably living in the last of the last days. And maybe, I don't know, this is my rough estimation, Right here, we're right here, maybe right here, okay, 2023. I don't know how long, but Christ is going to return. You all believe that? He's going to return just like he was lifted up. Every eye will see, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Jesus is the Lord. Some willingly, some not so, 
but it, it's going to happen. He's going to wipe away every tear. And this age and dispensation as we know it is going to end. And the new heavens and the new earth is going to come. So that's the future right there. Do you guys see this? This is a Vista Point activity. The past, the future. And we're right here, Rooftop Church, right? 2023. And we got to be asking the question, what is God up to in our generation? What is God doing in the midst of the church in our generation? Excuse me. I mean, isn't this amazing to have this view? John 15, 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves because slaves don't know what the master is up to, but I call you my friends because I'm going to tell you everything that the father is up to. And he introduces us to this view. When I first saw this, I was senior in high school and my eyes were open and I'm like, because I used to think like a chicken. You know, very nearsighted. What school am I going to go to? What am I going to do with my life? But then when I saw this, I'm like, no, I'm part of something so much bigger. If you go to Africa, I'm a missionary. I travel a lot. I, uh, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I'm flying to India tonight. But, you know, you go to those places and, you know, just like we have dogs running around, there's chicken running around, right? And if you observe the chicken, the chicken goes like, you know. And then every once in a while, it will drink some water. And they don't have the ability to, I guess, just swallow their water like this, like I did, like this, you know? So they go like this, you know? Water goes down and they go back, you know? And then they're living like that, right? And I feel like that's how I used to live and that's how many people live. Even Christians live like that. They, 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 they care about, you know, what school, what this, what family, my kids, and they're running around. And every once in a while, once a week on Sunday, hopefully, right, they come and they're like, God, thank you. And they go back right to their lives, you know, and, and they're continuing their, and they live like that for, for all of their lives. And I'm like, no, God didn't call us to live like chickens, right? He called us to live like eagles, right? To see the big picture of God as friends of God, to join God in this generation of what he's doing and serve the purposes of God that, that's going to last for eternity, right? So, not only for our lives, but even for our church. Guys, I, I think it's, easy for local churches to become very narrow-sided, near-sided, self-centered, navel-gazing. It's all about us. But I want us to take a step back and say, wow, we're part of something so big. And that's why rooftop eight years is so meaningful in God's history. Because God's history is not done being written. The book of Acts ends kind of awkwardly. You know why? Because the book of Acts has been continuously being, being been written in the last 2,000 years, and the history of God's kingdom through the church in this generation and age is still being written right now. Through Rooftop Church, through each and every one of you. You guys believe that? I mean, we are found in this direct discipleship lineage of God's kingdom. We're making history. You are making history in this generation. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you are important. Hey, turn to somebody next to you and say, stop living like a chicken. That's why what you are doing here matters eternally. You faithfully following the Lord and being the people of God in this place. Wow. God is doing something through you. 
And so an important question we should be asking is this. What are you doing, Lord, in the midst of this world? What are you doing in your church? Now get this. In the past, whenever the church of God and the people of God in the last 2,000 years would kind of wander, get stuck in a rut, or go off trail, God would restore them. For example, just two examples here. In the early 3rd to 5th centuries, when Christianity escaped persecution and the Roman Empire like fully acknowledged it, it became like the norm, right? Isn't it weird? When it becomes a norm, Christianity becomes a norm, you, you expect it to go better, but it goes way off. So much nominalism, pagan, idolatrous, secular stuff coming into the church. Doesn't that kind of sound like today's church? And so in that generation, you know what God did? He brought desert fathers and mothers to escape and purify themselves out in the desert and provide a new way of living in the world, but with a different way of bringing the kingdom of God, walking with him, with a deeper, pure spirituality. In the 16th century, what happened? We all know, right? The church was corrupt. They were abusing the word of God, withholding the word of God. The gospel was diluted, right? They were selling indulgences. So God brings Wu, the reformers, to reform and purify the gospel and the church so that the church can continue to do his work. What about in our generation? What is God up to, right? People say different things when they talk about what's the problem and the real issue of the church nowadays. Some people say, we don't have enough knowledge. We need to get the right doctrine, right? If we could just get the right word of God and the right beliefs, then that would be good. Some people say, we don't have enough of the gift of the Spirit. You know, we need experiential, like, oh, you know, like more of the Spirit, right? And that type of thing. Some people say, we aren't missional enough. We need more, we need to be more about others and the poor and the needy and become more active, you know, in serving the society and things like that. Others say, we don't have enough volunteers or leaders in the church. Anybody say amen to that? How can we deal with this shortage? You know, how can we raise up more leaders and have more people, you know, get interested and plug them in and all that, right? Some people say, we don't have enough resources and finances, so we got to grow the church, get more people, get more offering, and have more resources so we can do great things, okay? This is what I believe. The real problem with the church, there's some truth in all of those things. I'm not, I'm not denying all of them, you know. The real problem with the church is that we have lost the primary calling given to us from Jesus. Dallas Willard, my favorite guy, theologian, calls it the great omission from the great commission. The church has become really good at making converts, getting people to pray a prayer, show up to church. The church has become so focused on how they can get this organization established to grow, and there's, and, and there, there's so much on church growth. When you attend seminary, there's so much on that. Did you guys know the topic of church growth never existed in seminary or church education? It's a very new thing that started appearing less than 100 years ago. So where do we know where it came from? It comes from corporate stuff. Now, I'm not denying, I love John Maxwell and the leadership stuff, and I think there's a lot of overlap of good secular leadership and Christian leadership. So I, love, I read it, I learn from it, but my point is this, right? that the primary calling has become secondary. And the church has focused on all the surrounding secondary things. Like how can we get the best speaker, the best music, the best building, the best children's program, the best whatever, the best system, the best camera, whatever, right? So that we can grow the church. And we become distracted from the primary purpose of the church. Here's the truth. Jesus never told us to grow the church. He said, 
love your neighbors. He said, make disciples. Be the embodiment like I am. Carry the character and presence and power of me and let me do your work. Let me build a church. He said, he, I will build my church. You guys all getting this? It's subtle, but this priority is a very serious one. And I believe it's at the core of what God is doing in our generation. Guys, think about the early church. You think, you know, the early first church in the book of Acts, they went out and said, how can we grow this church? All they had was that they knew Jesus was real. They knew the spirit was in them. They were fully surrendered. They were so forgiven and receiving of mercy and love of God that they sold all their positions to, to help the needy and love one another. And then the world came to them and saw slaves and free and Greeks and Jews and women and men and all these divisions all becoming one, all in Christ. And they were thrown away. They were, wow, there has to be something real here. And that's what attracted multitudes to come and find the living God in the midst of their gathering. We got to make the order right. We got to focus on the essential and let God take care of the rest. The church as gospel embodied community. The greatest problem of the church that we face today, I believe, is that we have majored on the minor and minored on the major. The primary calling of the church is to make full-blown, mature, Christ-like disciples who actually observe everything Christ has told us. Not just outwardly, but from the inside out. It's people who really, who really smell like Jesus. And through them, world revolution would happen. Nowadays, we become masters. Churches have become masters at running an organization, but poor at helping one soul become more like Jesus. A couple quotes from my favorite people here. Dallas Willard said this, the church doesn't have a leadership problem or a missional problem. The church has a discipleship problem, a sanctification problem. A problem of lacking the knowledge and, and, the, and the practical resources and intention of how we can help each member become full-blown disciples of Jesus who actually live in the peace of God, in the kingdom of God. Edmund Chan, a theologian and pastor from Singapore, said this, The biggest problem with the modern-day church is the perpetual infancy of its members. People go to church 40 years and sometimes call themselves elders but they punch each other in the parking lot. What's going on? What God is doing in our generation is restoring authentic discipleship to the church. The priority must not be doing stuff for the Lord, but simply becoming real disciples of Jesus that actually launch on a lifelong journey of transformation of becoming more like him. So that we actually become people who have the character and power of Jesus. You know what the greatest detriment to the gospel in the churches nowadays? It's not the lack of knowledge or apologetics. We have so much good resources. You know what it is? You go out to evangelize on college campuses. The number one thing is this. I, I like Jesus, but I'm not sure about the church. Did you hear the news of what happened to, to that moral failure of that leader? Do, do you know what my experience is with the church? I've been so scared. You, you hear it's so like it's. 
You get tired of hearing that. The detriment to the gospel is not lack of resources. It's a lack of character and power of Jesus of believers. So what is God doing? He's restoring the primary purpose of the church. I sound like a broken record probably by now, right? He's restoring the priority of making mature disciples of Jesus, formed into the likeness of Christ. One more quote by Dallas Willard. He said, the church is, can we read this together? One, two, three. The church is for discipleship and discipleship is for the world. I love this. I live by this actually. We got to focus on raising our people. And you know what's going to happen? God's going to use those people to revolutionize the neighborhoods, the schools, the workplaces, this entire city. God desires nothing short of a world revolution, but how is that going to happen? What is his method? What is, what is his way of doing it? It's the mustard seed method of one individual by individual getting it, transforming in their character from the inside out, oozing out the love and the peace and the wisdom and the character of Jesus, impacting their spouses and family and kids and, and siblings and all of that. And through that, God will change the world. Every church has to answer these two questions, right? This is what Willard said, right? Number one is this. What is your plan for making disciples like this? And second is this. How is that plan working? We've got to continue to course correct so that we can focus on these primary two questions as a church. Now, I'm towards the end of my, my message, which I hope it brings joy to you. Um, how, how is the world we live in today? Right? That's the last focus I just want to kind of talk about. I think we live in a culture and generation that's driven by techno technological developments and media. Can we get an amen? Right? People are addicted to excitement, infotainment 24-7. The moment, what's the first thing you do when you get up? And before anything else, you've checked your email, you've looked at news, you looked at your favorite YouTube and all those things. Can we get an amen? Don't feel guilty, it's okay. Jesus still loves you. Right? Right. And, and so, you know, all the social media stuff, like it's all about luxury, what's better, bigger, foodier. Is that, is that a word? Sexier, juicier, more succulent. You know, all those things, right? And so there's this addiction that has developed for excitement, passion, and risk. And this kind of thing and culture and way has crept into the spirituality of Christians and our worship. And so we tend to long as Christians that go to church even for these ecstatic experiences with God, strong emotional highs, something. Come on, Pastor Scott, I'm coming on Sunday. You know, inspire me, you know, touch my heart, right? We're coming for another kind of like dosage of adrenaline and some, some kind of thing many times. But what if the church was never meant for that? What if the church was about actually coming as disciples and building one another up and worshiping him and conforming into the likeness of Jesus together? Eugene Peterson calls this quest for spiritual intensity a consumer-driven market for religious experience in our world. He says this, there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Religion, 
in our time, right? Spirituality in our time has been captured by a tourist mindset, that consumer mindset. We go to see a new personality, to hear a new truth, to get a new experience, and so somehow to expand our otherwise humdrum life. What we need is not bigger, better, flashier. What we need is a faithfulness to the ordinary process of following and becoming more like Christ with our whole lives, with our whole beings, so that we can actually embody his character as individuals and as a community, to have real Christ-like substance, right? You know, this kind of fascination about the radical and extraordinary is not a new thing, actually. Right? This kind of fascination about, oh, you know, um, at the cost of neglecting the ordinary faithfulness as disciples of Jesus was always a temptation, even from biblical times. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 11 and 12, it says this. Let's read this together. One, two, three. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Give you a little background of this, uh, the letter of Thessalonians written from Paul, right? Paul, and if you read Acts chapter 17, he was on a second missionary journey, and he visited Thessalonians for the first time. The gospel never reached it with Silas, you know, and Timothy. And long story short, a lot of people began to believe in him, right? A lot of Jews started believing in him. It was a very prominent Roman city with a lot of pagan idolatry and all of that. So there was a forming of disciples and the church, right? <clears throat> but there was these Jewish people that weren't converted to Christianity, and they stirred up a mob, okay? They falsely accused them. Look at those people. They're turning the world upside down, you know? They're going against Rome and Caesar. They're saying this other Jesus guy is king. Ah, and so what ended up happening is a lot of people were stirred up. They, they went to Jason's house, which, which was Jason was their host. And um, they, they dragged him out and they almost killed him, right? And so they had to flee late at night. And so this is a few months after they fleed to the next, next, next city, probably in the city of Corinth. He's, he still cares for them, but he wasn't able to really disciple them, right? And so he sends his spiritual son, Timothy, to check on them. Timothy comes back with a report that for the most part, they're doing well, but they have some questions about the end times. Some of them died, so what's going to happen when they die? And all these questions. And so he's writing this letter to address that. In the midst of that letter, he's saying, live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands. When you read that, you're kind of like, Paul, what are you, what are you talking about here? And different scholars say, you know, slightly different, there's different speculations here. You know, some scholars think that because of their view of the imminent return of Jesus, they thought that Jesus might come back very soon, maybe next week even, right? right? Imagine you think that. Because of that, they're like, I'm not, I don't want to work. I'm just going to lean on those wealthier people, you know, and just hang out, right? They became lazy. They neglected kind of the faithfulness in their daily lives as disciples of Jesus. So perhaps that, some of that was happening, right? Uh, some other scholars think that, you know, there were actually some people causing interference within the church. There's these radical people that were trying to do stuff, you know, they're exciting, you know, and all that. Or some of them, they thought that they were doing that publicly too, kind of in the spirit of Paul. And they, they, they were not intentional about it, but they ended up, you know, stirring uproar. So maybe some of them were being radical. It's the end times. Ah, oh, they're going out and causing trouble, right? So maybe he was addressing them. Or lastly, some think that Paul was just making a general encouragement for them to lead lives that was honorable and good. To live quietly, literally, the word there, it means to live in tranquility, restedness, and peace. That wholeness. 
that we can only find when we walk with Jesus as his disciples and when we're transformed into his likeness. And that overarching sense of well-being and goodness. Now, whatever you want to follow, okay, what's interesting is there's a commonality in all those three. You know what it is? It's that there's a neglect of the ordinary daily faithfulness. And instead, a radical extreme type of view and way of doing stuff that was prevalent among some of the Thessalonians. So Paul is encouraging them to lead a quiet life. Faithful. Be good citizens of the kingdom. And be good neighbors here. And ultimately, you will be good witnesses to everyone in this city. In other words... Listen up. Paul is calling them to be faithful in their ordinary lives, and through that, God will work. Paul is charging them to be faithful in the ordinary lives as authentic disciples, and through that, they would become a powerful presence in Thessalonica. And today, on this eighth anniversary of Rooftop Church, I want to give you that same charge. Some of you all are like, Hey, you know, bless us with some great hopes and, you know, are you calling us to be an ordinary church? (laughs) Um, No, don't get me wrong. I have huge hopes. God has huge hopes and he wants to revolutionize Brea and the city and Orange County and even the whole world through rooftop. Can we get get an amen? But how is that going to happen? It's going to happen through the ordinary faithfulness and transformation of his people. The real work of God is what's happening right here in your own being, in our own community, right? What you do is important, but who you are is more important. My question to you is, who are you becoming, Rooftop? Who do you want to become, Rooftop Church, right? Let me pray for us.